My guest today is Polygon editor Arthur Gies to talk about his review of ReCore. My name is Charlie Hall, in for Justin McElroy. You're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. doing this afternoon, Arthur? I'm, I'm a tired boy, Charlie, I'm going to be honest. A tired boy, because why? Uh, because I just spent about 72 hours straight playing through and reviewing ReCore. That is, that sounds grueling. I, <laughs> I don't do a ton of reviews for Polygon, and, and gosh, that's one of the reasons. When, when did you get a hold of that code? Did it come in late? Uh, we received ReCore on Friday afternoon, Okay. and the embargo for ReCore was Monday morning at 5 a.m. Pacific. Well, gosh. Yes, gosh is what I said when I got it in my email. <laughs> well, we've, some we, variation thereof. We've been looking at ReCore video trailers mostly for, feels like a couple of years now. Help get folks up to speed that might have lost track of it. What is ReCore? Uh, ReCore is a Microsoft first-party exclusive that was announced, I think, back in 2014 at E3. Uh, it is created by a partnership between Armature Studios, which is a studio in Texas comprised of uh, former retro employees, I think. The game they're most known for is probably Metroid Prime and its sequels. Uh, and also the Japanese uh, independent developer Concept, which is the studio from former Capcom developer Keiji Inafune. Okay. So, but, but d- describe to me kind of the world of ReCore. Like, to give me... Give me- up to speed with their lore as best you can. Oh, the lore. Um, yeah. So, uh, ReCore takes place in the future. Stop me if you've heard this one. Uh, and uh, basically the premise is that there was a really bad plague on uh, Earth in addition to all the other terrible things that humans did to the planet. And so there was a colony effort to send humans to a new planet that could be made habitable. Uh, by humans. Uh, it was, it's called New Eden. And so the premise is that these people were shot into space, uh, which takes hundreds of years. And, uh, some of them are brought out of cryostasis early to rebuild this world and get it ready for everyone else. And you play the part of Jewel Adams, who is, uh, one of these engineers. And you wake up, uh, to your, uh, robot companion, a core bot named Mac. Uh, and find that everything is screwy, that there's no people around, that there's half of a built civilization, and lots of angry uh, robots that shouldn't be that way. And so as Jewel, your task is to try to figure out what is happening. Now, in your review, you made mention that it's kind of an arcade-style game with with a lot of shooting, with a lot of movement. It reminded you, you said, of of some PlayStation 2-era action games. What what specifically were you thinking of with that? Any that come to mind? You know, it's it's funny, not not necessarily specific games, although a lot of Sega and Capcom output during the the sort of early 2000s, up through the sort of release of the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, when that stuff died down, but just stuff like Devil May Cry, stuff like Shinobi, stuff like Gun Valkyrie on the Xbox for people who actually played that game. Um, it just has this very sort of aggressive 
actiony, fudgy sensibility to it uh, that rewards playing smartly but aggressively. Um, it's not as mechanically sophisticated as something like Devil May Cry or Ninja Gaiden, but it definitely evokes this kind of game that was popular during the PS2 era that uh, that has largely disappeared in the time since. From what I could tell, you were really satisfied with that core gameplay loop, with that core combat mechanic. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that functions and what that plays like? It's It looks a lot like a, a sort of standard third-person shooter these days, but uh, there's no cover system, which is very sort of retro, uh, no pun intended. Uh, and um, there's no major weapon system. Like, you don't get different kinds of weapons. Instead, uh, Jewel switches between color modifications on her rifle, which correspond to enemy colors in the stages. Uh, and if you hit an enemy with the corresponding color uh, with that weapon fire, uh, they take extra damage. Uh, and also there are charged shots uh, with these weapon colors that do specific kinds of damage. Like a charged shot from red uh, does a, does fire damage, and a charged shot from blue does electrical damage, and a charged yellow shot will hold them in place. Uh, and... Um, uh, that combined with uh, mobility from Jewel that gives her a pretty good double jump and a, and a dash move um, that can be very strictly controlled. Um, like it's it's even more so than like your sort of average Mario style platformer. You can jump and control yourself the entire time you're in the air, and that allows for some very pinpoint last second uh, adjustments to your trajectory. And combined with a boost, it just allows for a very kinetic sort of combat. Uh, and so it's not an arcade game so much as a game you'd play in an arcade, so much as it's an action game that's very reminiscent of what, what I was talking about before. Now, of course, the gimmick with ReCore, and it's something that we saw in all of those early trailers, and I'm curious how it pans out in the actual release, is the concept of these robots that have this this core inside of them. So what what role does that core play, and how does it feed into that that combat loop. So the core in this universe is sort of the home of that that robot's AI and also their power source. Um, and so for enemies, uh, once they're at a certain health threshold, you can actually yank the core out, which triggers a sort of minigame. Uh, and uh, for your friendly robots, uh, you update their cores, you upgrade them to, uh, to improve their basic stats. Uh, so you make them more powerful, you give them better defense, you give them more energy for special attacks. Um, and later you can actually swap cores one from one robot body to another, um, which is, I mean, your core, each robot levels up on its own. And so that might give a certain advantage to a kind of body type that it wouldn't otherwise have. And there's also an additional body type that doesn't come with an AI in it. So you can take one of your existing robot friends and put them in that new body. Okay. So I start the game with Mac. Yes. Right. He's like my dog friend. Yes, he's your dog okay. friend. So I take Mac's core and I put that into a spider robot or that kind of mule robot that you were talking about in your review. Like, what is, but how does that do? Is that Mac it has new abilities? Mac's powers? Mac's personality has new abilities? I don't that get will, it. That will give uh, Mac the abilities of the spider robot, who's known as Seth. Uh, but it also max uh, sort of resiliency. His his uh, attack power and and his uh, his stats will will take the place of Seth's. But also, like I said, you build a new uh, body type 
and you've got to put one of your existing robots into it to use it. And Mac is sort of the logical candidate because his sort of interesting world exploration mode is not really anything to write home about. Like, he'll dig in a circle and dig something up, and maybe he'll find something, and usually it's nothing. Uh, whereas Seth can attach himself to these tracks you find around the world and sort of run along them, and that gets you to new places. And Duncan, who is the big sort of gorilla-style robot, uh, uh, he uh, he does a lot of damage in fights, and he can also smash certain things down and knock certain things down and let you get to new places. So putting Mac into a new body, say a flying body, uh, that lets you sort of hover from one place to another is kind of like a, a viable trade-off. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting idea that's actually not fleshed out in any particularly interesting way. Well, that's that's definitely one of the criticisms that you levied against the game in in your review. Another was that the the game itself felt padded; that it it felt like they were trying to scrape a little too much butter over not enough bread. Sure, sure. Um, and I and I think that I I gave a couple examples of that. One of the the most sort of confusing and obviously bad decisions uh, that they made was a. Uh, you you have three robot companions. You have Mac, Seth, and Duncan. Uh, and everything seems fine and is working pretty well uh, while you've got Mac and, and Duncan, or Mac and Seth. But once you add Duncan to the mix, you can only have two robots with you at a time. Uh, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and also forces you to go to these waypoints to change your crew, as it's called in the game. So if you find uh, a thing... Uh, if you find a thing that your robot can't handle or that your robot crew can't handle that another robot can, you have to go back and trade your crew for the appropriate robot. And that takes time. And as some people have pointed out on the Xbox One version in particular, the load times in this game can be pretty long. Uh, and it just... It doesn't make sense. It's a weird mechanical constraint. And I, I usually don't like to sort of criticize mechanical decisions and design decisions because I'm not a game designer. But it's something that has no tangible benefit uh, in the game at all and actually has a pretty deleterious effect on its playability. Uh, and also, it requires grinding. It requ requires replaying the same sections uh, multiple times unless you do them perfectly the first time. And that's not fun. It's really, really not fun to play the same sections over and over again. Um, and it doesn't make any sense unless the whole point is to make people play the game longer than they otherwise were. Well, which makes it all the more confusing, the, the, the later part of your review, where you mentioned that they give this kind of this tease of a sequel. It's like, oh, well, we had some more story to talk about, but we didn't really want to waste it on this game here. Right, and I it's it's hard because I I'm t I, I hesitate to speculate on why things are a certain way um, because that's not necessarily fair. But I one of those things is not the same problem as the other. Uh, mm. If you don't have enough of a game finished, um, then you have to cut story. You have to cut things to uh, to to make the game function uh, to put it out. I, I think with uh, the other is that if you have to cut things out, then maybe you make other things take longer or rearrange things so that people have to spend more time doing things that weren't going to take that much time before. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I follow, I follow. 
So earlier we were talking about how it, it kind of seems very much like that style of Japanese action game that is, has vanished, right? Uh, your, your review talks about, like, th- this is not a kind of a game that exists anymore. So I ask you this. Is this a refinement of that genre? Is this the next step of that genre? Or is this, is this also kind of a me too? I, I think that it's more a me too. It feels more like a nostalgia play than a, a sort of proper uh, evolution of anything in particular. Um, I think that, uh, uh, unfortunately it's not doing anything particularly new and in some cases actually succumbs to some of the same problems that those games have, like g- things that I consider problems, not necessarily everyone else. Uh, like if you get hit by certain things, it'll sort of lock you in place and you won't be able to, to move, uh, which I personally find incredibly frustrating in a game like this, um. And certain games like Dark Souls do it and get away with it, but that doesn't mean that I like it. Um, and in other cases, it almost feels like it's warning bad lessons from other games that have made some similar mistakes. Like, in a lot of ways, its structure reminds me of Destiny, like vanilla Destiny, uh, in that you have to grind levels, you have to grind experience in order to get enough to advance in the game, and the only there, there's no earthly reason that that should be the case. We did have one question uh, that I thought was interesting come in from Twitter. Yer Donen asks, does it feel like this game would be a better fit as a more compact $15 downloadable title? Now, I, I don't necessarily think that that is a great question in its premise, but I, I want to hear your response. Uh, I think that it's, I actually do think that it's a valid question because I think that we saw a lot of games sort of mining similar like interests uh, last generation on, on PSN and Xbox Live Arcade. Um, and I think in that context, it would actually make a lot more sense. And, and even Microsoft, uh, despite sort of some of their messaging as to why it is, uh, it is acknowledging that in a, in a tacit way by, uh, by releasing it at $40. It's not a $60 game. They're saying that it's a full retail experience, but they're not releasing it at $60. Um, so that suggests to me that even they know that it's not exactly the sort of uh, $60 big experience that that maybe people might have expected when it was originally announced. So it might be a better fit at $15, but would it, would it have gotten a better score? Polygon, we gave it a 6.5. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I I don't think for me it would have because I try not to grade on a curve that way. It would be easier to recommend at fifteen dollars, uh, certainly. But you know, that's not what it is. It is what it is. So uh, it got what it got. But it is. I, I do think it's sort of a strange fit uh, as a retail title. Well, thanks for the time today, Arthur. Get some rest and uh, have some fun. And you're going to be in the field for a couple of weeks. So safe travels. Thanks, sir. And thanks to you at home for listening today. We've got a lot more on Polygon.com, including Arthur's review for you to check out. We've also got reviews of the latest Phoenix Wright game, as well as Hitman episodes 3 and 4, including Marrakesh and Bangkok. Until we've got another game to talk about, this is Charlie Hall for Arthur Gies. Thank you for listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Quality Control.